coming to you from the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, home of the Woodland Baptist Church, on the 13th of February, 2022, The Unshaken Saint. We're in John chapter 14 this morning. John chapter 14, and you'll recognize it right away if the number doesn't give it away. When you open your Bible to John 14, you will know. Let me read these six verses well familiar to you, I'm sure. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, uh, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want to talk about a troubled heart today. For that's exactly what Jesus refers to in this passage when he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Why would he even lead out in this section about a troubled heart? Well, we have to go back a little bit into chapter 13. And in chapter 13, some things had happened, some things had been said that caused them to wonder about what was going on. Remember, in chapter 13, we have had uh, Judas outed as a betrayer of Jesus. Um, they didn't know it at the time. They figured it out afterwards. But Jesus certainly knew, and his heart was troubled. Um, in verse 21 of chapter 13, he says, And after these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Also, we had in this time, um, Peter responding to a statement of Jesus saying, I will never leave you. And, and then Jesus predicting his uh, denial, denials uh, at the trial. Let's go back to that in chapter 13. Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? Because he had said, I'm going away. He said, where are you going? He says, I, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. And Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And this is when Jesus spoke about his denials. Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Right on the tale of that is chapter 14. So you can understand why Jesus would speak to them about their hearts being troubled. 
The word troubled here is um, a command to stop doing something that they were doing. It says your hearts are being troubled. Literally, don't let your heart continue to be unsettled. Don't let your heart continue to be unsettled. We need to settle down your heart. It's the idea of the waters being stirred over and over and over again. It doesn't get to the place of calm, which I think is interesting because one of the places this word is also used is when Jesus was asleep in the boat and the storm was going on the outside and Jesus calms the water and, the, and after the storm was going and Jesus calms it, he says, and then the disciples were troubled, which means they were stirred up. No longer was the sea stirred up, but the disciples were stirred up. But we all know what it's like to have a troubled heart. All sorts of things can come into our life that cause uneasiness and worries and concerns. And Jesus says to his disciples, in this particular incident, don't let your heart be troubled about where I'm going. Don't, don't be fretting and concerned about that. Now, let's paint this picture and fill it in a little bit. Jesus had been with his disciples. He had literally a crew around him for, for years now. He had been ministering and they had been watching and observing. And now he says, I'm going to go away. And you can understand why their hearts would be troubled. What do you mean you're going away? Where are you going? And you're going away? What is, what's that going to mean for us? What's going to happen to us? All those kinds of questions would come up. And Jesus then speaks to those issues in this passage. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And we have this familiar picture. In my father's house are many rooms uh, or dwelling places, depending on your translation. If it, is, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? The way this passage is, is worded sometimes comes through in some of our English translations and, and others not. He says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Sometimes we interpret that as saying, wouldn't I tell you that if, if I wasn't going to do that? No, he says, I have told you that in the past is literally the idea. And he says, would I have said that I'm going to do this if I didn't mean it is the idea. Would, would you have heard from me that I'm going to prepare a place for you if I really didn't mean that? So the question arises: did Jesus ever tell them that? Well, first of all, whether it was recorded or not, we know that he did because he referred to it. But he also said something about that in John chapter 8. John chapter 8 in our, in our scriptures, 
is one of the great messages of Jesus where he's either interpreted to be a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And there's a great, that whole great message as he interacts with the religious leaders of the day. But he also interacts with others who are following him, trying to figure out who he is and what he's about. And in John chapter 8, and we come to around verse 14, Let's back it up to verse 12. And he says, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. In other words, you don't have more than your own testimony. And, you know, we can dismiss that. Jesus answered and says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. He says, I can at least give testimony about myself. Every person has that right. He says, for I know that I came from where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I came from and where I'm going. And here he's making reference to heaven. He says, I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going. And I can give testimony about that. But then they go on and they begin to criticize some more about his judgment. And he says, I bear witness and my father bears witness. So it isn't just one witness, it's more. But down in verse 19, he continues. He says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. And the father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Where did he come from? Came from heaven. So who is he talking about? His heavenly father. Where is he going? Back to heaven, where his heavenly father is. So he has those references. And then, much like our passage in John chapter 14, he says in verse 21, uh, 20 and 21, I, I am going away, you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, not, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, I am going where you cannot come. Well, obviously, he was going to die. But that isn't what he was talking about. He says, you can't come to where I'm going because why? That's for those who know the Father and know me. Okay, so we come to this particular issue of an unsettled heart about where in the world is Jesus going? And his answer then is here in, in chapter 14. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Probably no clearer statement of Jesus about him coming back for his own. 
that is recorded right here in John chapter 14. You say, well, it didn't happen then, it hasn't happened. Now, is it going to happen? The answer is, well, did he say it or not? And if he did, he meant it just like he said it. At this point, we could go into a massive study about what is heaven like. But let's, let's just look here at what he talks about. My father's house had many rooms or dwelling places. He says that's what heaven is like. I have a feeling when some people talk about heaven and they're not believers, they're talking about this good place to go as opposed to hell. And I suppose that's true as far as it goes. And people would say, well, which one would you prefer to go to? Heaven or hell? Well, you get some facetious people saying, well, that, my, my friends are down in hell. That's where I want to go. But if they understand a little bit about heaven and hell, they wouldn't respond that way. But I think there are some people who say, I would like to go to heaven, and their idea of going to heaven is to avoid hell, but they don't really care anything about God. You know, heaven is just a good alternative to hell. And their idea, sort of in their mental picture, is I'll get through a pearly gate and then hang a hard right or a hard left, go down and find myself some place to stay, and I'll avoid God and take, you know, I'll just take care of myself in heaven. That's not the picture that Jesus places. He says, this is my father's house. Lots of dwelling places in it. It's not like I'm going to go live on the outskirts of heaven, you know, find myself a nice 40 acres there, settle down and enjoy my solitude life. No, this is heaven where the Father dwells. This is his place. This is, you can't have heaven without having God. By the way, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. This is your place too. For all those who have put their trust in, in my father, that's where they're going to go. He says, and if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. In other words, this whole notion of me going away is not something where you will never see me again. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I'm coming back for you. And then take you to be with me. And as he's speaking to his disciples in the upper room, they had understood intimacy. They had been with Jesus. And the idea of Jesus coming back for them was something that would resonate with them. They would love that. We'll be back together? Is that what you're saying? And the answer is yes, that's right. 
He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you and come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And in verse 4, and you know the way to where I'm going. I'm glad that Jesus said that, and I'm glad for Thomas' question after that. Jesus says, you know where, you know the way. You go, if I don't know where you're going, how can I know the way? Jesus says, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know how to get to where you're going if we don't know where you're going? Well, where did he tell them that he was going? I go to prepare a place for you. And where is that? In my father's house. That's where I'm going. Well, how do you get there is the question that Thomas raises. How do we get to where you're going? And Jesus answers in one of probably one of the most famous passages. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, I am the way that you get to the Father. I am the way that you get to the Father's house. I am the way to how you get to your place that I have prepared for you. I am the way. <clears throat> We've used this illustration before, but seeing as how we're in this passage, it fits again. What's the best way to find your way to a place that you have never been? Well, there are some people who like to use GPS. You say, well, just punch it into the computer, figure it out. Those that are old school say, let's pull out the map. Let's find out where, where this place is. We'll figure out how we can drive there, how we can get there. All those things are true, but that's not the best way to ever get anywhere that you have never been. The best way to get someplace that you've never been is to have somebody who's been there take you. And that's what Jesus says to his disciples. I am the way. It isn't a matter of you're going to have to figure out how to get there on your own. Thomas, you, you asked a question. He says, you know the answer. You know the way. He says, how, how do I know the way if I don't know where you're going? It doesn't matter. Why? If you know me and I said I'm going to take you, then you don't have to figure it out. You just trust me to get you to where you want to go. So it is here on earth, so it'll be then. If we want to get to a place, and I'll tell you, it makes it a lot easier, doesn't it? Some of you like to drive, some of you don't like to drive. Some of you like that whole idea of being in control, and others say, I don't care. 
Uh, my daughter Esther back there, she says, give me a limo, put me in the back seat and have somebody drive me. She says, why? The person can get me there. I don't even have to think about driving. I don't have to think about the plan. I don't have to think about any of those things. I'll just put myself in the hands of the driver, let him get to me, to where I need to go. And that's what Jesus says. Jesus says, I'm the way. You don't have to worry about getting to heaven, figuring out if you made a wrong turn somewhere along the way. You trust me, and I will get you there. That's the plan. That's the way. By the way, it's interesting that people of the way was one of the descriptive terms to describe the early church. These are people of the way. They know how to get somewhere. How do they know that? They put their trust in the Lord. Jesus goes on and says, he says, I am the way and the truth. And we could go into a whole thing about what the truth is, but it's basically what is really real. If you want to know the true story, if you want to know what's absolutely how it is and is no different than reality, then it involves the person of Jesus Christ. John 1, 14, John records in that opening uh, monologue, introduction, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Back in John chapter 8 again, Jesus, as he was speaking to those listening and trying to determine who he was, Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, that was in contrast to the religious leaders, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What if somebody wasn't telling you the truth if they said, yeah, hop into my car, I'll take you to where you need to go. But they didn't have a clue to where they were going. But they told you that they did. What kind of situation would that put you in? Jesus says it's important that I operate according to the truth here. When I say, you don't have to figure out the way, all you have to do is come with me. I'm the way, I'll get you there. But he's lying. He doesn't know the way. He just told you that. That wouldn't do you any good, would it? Now, operating according to truth is important. Here we are at the Woodland Baptist Ministry Center, and we're not too far from the freeway. If you uh, went to get on the freeway and you wanted to go to Seattle, which way would you have to go? South or north on I-5? Nobody knows. They have to go north, right? 
So you, you go down, back around through town, past some of the stores at Dairy Queen and everything, go onto the freeway, and, and as soon as you get underneath the freeway, you get on the freeway, and away you go. You go, well, wait, 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 wait a minute, that's south. That's not the right direction to Seattle. Seattle, you have to go north. You can go down that way if you want, but it's easier to go over here and go by Sagawas and get on the freeway or go down and get down there close to where Walmart is and get on the freeway. Now, that's the way to take you north to Seattle. But let's say that you got on the freeway and you were headed south. And you turn to the, the person who's driving and you go, I think you're going the wrong direction. No, I know the way. He doesn't know. He's not speaking the truth. And then you pass a little sign and it says I-5 south. And that's the way you're going. And you go, no, no, no. We, got, we need to go north. We need to turn this rig around and head the other way. How important is truth? Jesus said, I'm the way I tell you, all you have to do is know me to get where you want to go. And by the way, I'm telling you the truth. Because I am truth. And then Jesus goes on and he says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. John 10, 28, 30 says, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given to them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. You want to know about life, everlasting life that's talked about throughout Scripture eternal life, everlasting life. Jesus says, it's sourced right here in me. We can't always see what Jesus is up to right now, can we? That's why we're called to live by faith and not by sight. Years ago, back in 76, in fact, that wasn't 1776, that was 1976. It may have seemed like an old time, but Bill Nato was one of the guys, business guys down in Portland, had an ad on the side of a building, and he wanted to do something else with the side of that building, it was right down close to the waterfront. And so he hired a friend, and this friend, they would discuss what kind of picture they wanted to paint on the wall. I mean, you got this whole big wall that's turned into a mural. And so he did. And so the artist then came up with this design and he had then this whole big, huge, multi-story wall to paint his design. And he had guys painting. But what they were doing was using a template and then painting big dots. And he would say, that one, I want that one black. And then they would paint another dot and he says, I, I want that one 
orange. And then another one, I want that one yellow. And the painter is up there painting, going, what in the world are we doing? Doesn't make any sense to us. The painter, though, down on the ground, knows exactly what's going on. And so he tells all those men working different places to be to paint different colored dots. And up close, looking at it, these dots were huge and didn't make any sense. How could this be a picture at all? But what they didn't know is that it was painting in pointillism. And if you stood a block away and looked back at the wall, all these dots came together as a beautiful butterfly. Couldn't see it up close, didn't know what was going on, but they trusted the designer that he knew what he was doing. And so it is with Jesus. He says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Let me tell you, I know exactly what I'm doing. If you want life, this is what you do. Well, how do we get peace in this settled heart then? Jesus had begun with a question, with a statement, and a solution. John 14.1, he says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me. Remember back in John 10, Jesus said, I and my Father am one. Here he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. See, if we want a, a settled heart, it won't come any other way. If our questions about the future and our relationship with the living God are something that in some way trouble us, those issues will not be resolved. They will not be settled except coming to the Father through the Son. I like to finish up with passage because most of the ones here, if not all, already have put their hope and trust in Jesus and the things that they know about what I've said in this passage, they all go with amen. But listen to what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As he's addressing this uh, church that was giving him all kinds of grief, because there had been all kinds of false teachers making all kinds of accusations against him, Jesus is, Paul is then speaking to the issues about our heavenly dwelling, and this is what he says. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, 
eternal in the heavens. In other words, this isn't our permanent residence. We have another. And he says, for this tent, our flesh, we groan, longing to be put in our heavenly dwelling, for indeed, by putting it on, we may be, uh, be not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. As we get a little bit older, the aches and pains are more readily available to us to recognize. And Paul says, in our earthly bodies in this tent, we groan. He says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. There's a beautiful picture that's found here and in Ephesians, the first chapter. And it says, you want to know if you're going to heaven? Did you put your trust in Jesus, who is promising to take you to your heavenly home? I'll let you know that he isn't done. He has also given us the spirit as a guarantee. We have the spirit within us that gives testimony to the fact that the promises of God are sure because the Holy Spirit was promised and we have him. Verse 6. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body here living on earth, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we are good courage, and we'd rather be away from the body and home with the Lord. If we had our druthers, which do you want? The aches and pains and the groans and the issues of life? Or peace and rest and eternity with the Father? Not a hard decision. So whether we are at home or away, let us make our aim to please him. In other words, Paul says, we want to be at home. We're not. We're still here. He says, but whether we're there or here, we can be in communion and relationship with this God. Let's do what we can to please him. He says, well, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And here we talk about the beam of seat of Christ. And there's probably no more appropriate time than right now to be talking about this because the beam of seat was a picture of judgment, but it wasn't judgment like a court. It was judgment like at the Olympics. Especially when you do something like ice skating or something like that. And they have multiple people watching. And they say, well, what kind of artistic skill did this person demonstrate? What kind of technical skill do they demonstrate? 
and then give them rewards based on what they have done. And so if somebody is marked down, it isn't, you are a lousy, lousy person. He says, no, you just didn't do that well. And that's what he says. We must appear before the judgment seat so in the, that each may receive what is due, what he has done in the body, whether good, evil. How are you living your life? And how, what will the what would the son have to say about, quote unquote, how you did? But the picture here is if you said, um, wow, that person didn't do too well. You remember Eddie the Eagle, that English jumper? He got up on top of that high thing, went sailing down. He was supposed to soar like an eagle. Instead, he crashed and burned. And everybody goes, he's braver than I. <laughs> I would never even get up there. And he attempted it. Did he do well? No. Did he win a medal? No. Did he compete? Yes. He says, we're all in this life going to be evaluated how we did. It's not for, it's not for judgment in the sense of being condemned. It is for reward. Gold medal, silver medal, bronze medal. Jesus said, I'm coming. I'm going away. They go, where are you going? He says, I'm going to be with the Father. If I go, I'm going to come again. And you know the way. How can we know the way? You don't have to know the way because I'm the way. I will come and I will take you with me to be with my Father. And here, as Paul is talking to the church, he says, there we're going to stand before him and he's going to look at us and said, how did life go for you? Did you trust me? Did you walk with me? And we will be rewarded for our faithful walk with him. Your hearts calm today? Are they at peace? Or are they disturbed? Should be, Jesus said, stop letting your heart be disturbed. Stop letting it be messed around and not calm. Why? You believe in God, believe also in me. It's my job to get you to heaven. You trust in me, believe in me, believe in my Father. It's a done deal. And that brings peace to our hearts. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message that John recorded from this upper room with Jesus and his disciples. I'm thankful for Thomas raising the question so that we would get these clear answers. Heavenly Father, I pray for each heart here and for each one maybe listening or watching the video later that Heavenly Father, their hearts 
would be at peace and rest. And if they don't know you as Savior and Lord, may you keep their hearts stirred up until they desire peace and rest in you. We ask in Jesus' name.